Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm your host, Rob Kennedy, and we're here with Rob Lay of Tiny Hearts. How's it going, Rob Lay? Good. Going good. Thanks for getting up for us. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Uh, this is the second time or the second time that I'm on the, supposed to be on the show, but... Um, but you made it. I made it. Which is good. Morning. Yeah. So um, this is going to be weird because you run Tiny Hearts, but you also have a product called Next Keyboard, mm-hmm. and you, you, you have a bunch of products on the store. So why don't you tell us about... Hmm. Why don't you tell us about Tiny Hearts just generally at first, and then we can get cool. to how you make products. Okay, cool. So Tiny Hearts is a product studio, um, and we've been making apps for the past five years on the App Store. iOS, um, mainly. I, mainly iOS apps yeah. is the focus. Uh, and so we make our own apps, but we also do some services work and do some apps uh, and other digital products for clients. Um, but uh, I think the focus right now, or what we're going to probably talk about most of the time, is some of the products that we've been making. Mm-hmm. Uh, Next Keyboard is the most recent one, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's something that we launched just uh, in September, mm-hmm. uh, and something we've been working on for the past year. And it's an iOS keyboard, but we also have an alarm clock called Wake Alarm uh, that we actively support, uh, and uh, a fitness app called QuickFit, mm-hmm. and have done stuff in the education and gaming space as well. So we've dabbled. Uh, and have been in the app store for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we use Wake to keep... It's the show clock. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is awesome. Um, so that's in, so. did you start off as a consulting company, or did you start off trying to make products, or what did you start off doing? Yeah, I uh, started off uh, from the product side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it was the first product that kind of led to some of the consulting opportunities that came about. So which the success one was that? of the first product. What was it? Uh, it was PocketZoo. Uh, so it was an education app um, for kids and animal lovers. It was a virtual zoo. Uh, essentially, you could take the zoo with you, and um, and it had live animal cams, and not a lot of apps were doing that. Uh, this was 2010, um, and I had just got It was like at the heyday of yeah. Apple, and apps were new, and the iPad was new at exactly, that point. The yeah. iPhone had been, like, the app store was like a year or two old. Exactly, like yeah. So in 2009 is when I started thinking about this kind of stuff, and that's when the 3GS was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, it was just about being really curious about the space, wanting to get into it, wanting to make my own product. Also, coming from a personal pl- place, I wanted to make a product uh, for kids at that time because I was about to be a dad. Um, and I wanted to create something that I could uh, share with my daughter. What were you doing, like, job-wise up till then? Uh, at that time, I was working at a big company, mm-hmm. uh, Intuit, mm-hmm. but I wasn't too into it. <laughs> um, As a what? Uh, Developer? Or? No, I was working on, on product and marketing. Yeah. Yeah. There. yeah. In Canada? In Canada, in their global business team. Could you work on product? Because often, it, for those who don't know, when you're not in America, the branch offices of these kinds of companies are just marketing-type roles, not actually crafting product. Could you actually influence yeah, product? Yeah, there was some, some of that as well because they, they had the quick the Quicken business, the QuickBooks business. They were starting to do QuickBooks online. They had bought Mint at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was interesting for them because they were going from that transition of uh, selling software uh, in, uh, in Staples and these types of stores versus online software. Right. Yeah. That's Did that, has that played, like, so you're thinking about, were you thinking about how to do that? Like, what was your... No, it was more of, uh, before that, I, I had done something, <clears throat> like, uh, my own company uh, while I was in school. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended up selling that company, and then I went to the corporate world. I was curious about that. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot in the first six months, and then I realized my heart's not there. I really want to be doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mobile is where my eyes were kind of looking at, and I just wanted to just dive in. And the best way to do that is just to make something. That's how I learn. I don't like to just sit in the sidelines. Was that like a night thing? You did yeah. Pocket Zoo at night and you did 
pretty much work yeah. during the day. Yeah. And then you launched it. Did you say, did you launch it and then quit your job immediately? Or like, how did you, what no. made you say, I'm going to double down on my own business? Um, so, so I worked on it at night, um, <clears throat> tried to p- learn as much as I can before then about mm-hmm. the app store, kind of became a student of the app store, uh, figured out kind of the key elements of success for apps and tried to emulate that mm-hmm. with PocketZoo, put together a team. We created a, a pretty good product in about three, four months. Um, and then... Um, Did you pay them? Uh, yeah. From what money? Uh, so some of the money that I, I had from selling my other company and yeah. uh, things like uh, getting a nice tax return just went straight <laughs> into the product. Right, right. Like stuff like that. Um, and so... Um, we launched it in May, mm-hmm. uh, and that ha- also happened to me when, to be when my daughter was born. So it was good timing. Was uh, it good timing? <laughs> it was. It was good timing in like the story sense, yes. in terms of uh, the real life sense. It was a pretty crazy time. <laughs> um, but um, so that that was good timing. And then once it hit the store, um, a few weeks later, it started doing well, and I started to see that it was making more on certain days than I was making uh, in two weeks at a corporate job. Uh, and so I saw that there was some potential. There was also, obviously, it fluctuated. It went up and down. Uh, but the benefits of living in Canada is you can take parental leave. So that was a good time for me to to explore that. And I took parental leave, and then I just worked on PocketZoo for a year. And mm-hmm. after kind of pushing it hard for a year, I realized that I can't go back to the corporate world. Right. And so PocketZoo was... This is back in the day when you could charge for apps, although it's starting to come back again. But yeah. this is this was a for-pay This game. was a paid app. Yeah. Paid app, yeah. Uh, entertainment slash educational experience. Right. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, and so you quit. You did that. And was that bringing enough money for you to pay your team up to a point? Like, or were you like, no, 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 I need to do another app, or I need to start consulting? Like, at what? How did you? How did that sequence work? Yeah. So it did bring in enough money to kind of say there's obviously some opportunity and potential here mm-hmm. in mobile, um, but at the same time. Uh, app revenues are not very reliable, mm-hmm. uh, and app store charts are something that you can't really plan a business around uh, all the time. And so, um, organically from PocketZoo came opportunities to work with some clients. Uh, just from the success of that product, some people came and asked for advice, uh, and some people even asked for help building an app. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how um, the services side started, just organically from success of a, a product that. Um, I created with the team to um, to people asking for something similar, and then services became another revenue stream. And then, how did you make that decision? Because this is a oftentimes it goes the other way around, and it's it's poorly done. Which is, I have a services company. I'm like, great, it's going okay, making some money. You know, it'd be even better to make money building a product company because that's just infinitely scalable. I make it once, and it just lasts forever. Um, you went the other way. How did you make that decision? Like, why did you say, yes, I will take money and it will be a distraction from my product business? Uh, so it's it's more being, I guess it's more practical. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that option, there's that route of like starting services and then trying to make products mm-hmm. and forcing it. Uh, and then there's the other one of just trying to make a product and getting funding. And then uh, if you run out of money, <clears throat> you're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, for me, it just, made sense. I wanted to make products <clears throat> that I was passionate about, products that um, hopefully had some potential. 
Uh, and so in order to do that, I need to create a system that's sustainable that allow me to continue to make products. That's what I love to do. So I want, if I want to make products, I need to figure out how to do that. Uh, and uh, doing a services plus products kind of model allowed us to create a, a sustainable uh, ecosystem where the services uh, can support the products, but the products can also support the services. Right. Uh, and so that seems to be uh, working out for us. So how, would you, you took on some clients and then you Im- in, in parallel tried to start making your next product? Is that what you did or? Uh, yeah, so we've been doing some of that stuff in parallel. Um, worked with, uh, yeah, so pretty much it's in parallel right now and right now we're just trying to create a model where there's uh, part of the team that works on and kind of mainly focuses on services and then part of the team that mainly focuses on our own products. But when you did PocketZoo, you, you said you became notable. People came to you, they said do my stuff. You had a team of what, you plus three, is that what you said? There's uh, a total of four or is there a total of five? It was probably closer to 10 people that worked on it, but it was just contractors, right? So, right. Um, and a lot of them were friends. And so I would bring on friends for certain mm-hmm. uh, certain projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how I was doing it for a while until it got uh, a little bit more consistent uh, and reliable. And then I would bring on somebody to the team and slowly grew the team up to now where we're at around 10. I guess what I'm trying to get at is like um, someone... so. Pocket was doing well enough, is bringing enough revenue, but like not enough to like retire, nor was it enough to start a gigantic company. You're like, okay, I, I need to bring in some other revenue to continue my product habit. Um, and then you get uh, people come in and waving checks at you, which are probably not tiny amounts of money. Otherwise, what's the point of taking the work? Um, how is that not a distraction from like you have you have to pay the contractors? You could fire them. You have to, you know what I mean? You could mm-hmm. just be like, go away, but. They're probably useful. They're probably smart people. You want to keep them around because you want to do some stuff with them. So you need to pay them. So you have somebody coming waving a check at you for you know fifty, hundred thousand dollars. Do this thing, and you're like, hmm, that could keep them around. How do you prevent that? How did you prevent that from doing your next product? So just to take a step back, I guess the products that we do for ourselves uh, are similar to the products that we do for other people. Like if we're not interested in it, if it's just a check, we're not going to take it. Uh, and so that's kind of a benefit of having two revenue streams, like where we can be a little bit more selective in mm-hmm. terms of the client work that we do take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the client work should be as interesting or so, close to as interesting as our own products. Right. Right. Uh, and so that's how um, I've been able to kind of keep uh, myself engaged and the team engaged mm-hmm. uh, and and build out a team that way. I guess my question is, what's the product you build after TinyZoo? Uh, PocketZoo was uh, oh, Pocket Zoo, sorry. Uh, so we did PocketZoo, PocketZoo for iPad, um, and then I created a game called Instamatch. Right. Um, did I tell you about that one already? Not on the air. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so Instamatch is a game for uh, Instagram. So this is when Instagram opened up their API a long time ago. I got an Instagram really early, and I was a big fan of it. Um, and when they opened up the API, I wanted to think about some interesting things to do with it mm-hmm. uh, and came up with a, a fun and unique matching game uh, that pulled photos from uh, from Instamatch, uh, Instagram. Uh, and so that game launched in 2012. Mm-hmm. So that was the second product. Um, that you made? Yep, second product that I made. So I guess my question is, you're, you're, busy, ser- you're busy servicing clients now. You have, you've got clients, they're paying you money. You're like, ooh, Instagram, API, I want to do a thing. Um, how do you prevent yourself? Because I guess I'm stuck on this because it's really, really hard to run a services company that also does product. 
Mm-hmm. It's, I, I've rarely seen it being successful, where you have a successful services company and you have a successful product. Usually it's kind of one or the other, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and oftentimes it's the services thing that's successful and the product thing is not so successful. Uh, and I think we'll get to next keyboard because that's the thing that's most interesting because that seems to have gotten some traction. But uh, I'm just wondering at that early stage when you're like, we built a product, now we've got interest. You are interested in building a second thing, but people are waving checks in your hand. How did you carve out mental, physical, real estate to actually deliver that product while you're trying to do stuff for clients, as interesting or not as their products might be? We didn't take on a lot of client projects. I see. I think that's probably the the shortest answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was one or two clients mm-hmm. uh, and try to focus on bigger projects. Right. Uh, so, uh, or bigger... I see. So get a big gig. Yeah. That's like going to re- recurring revenue for yeah. a longer period of time, have a partnership or something like that with yeah. somebody. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, continue to explore um, our own ideas and kind of learn. And Instamatch was just an, one of those like, wouldn't it be cool if? <laughs> uh, and then um, I was passionate about it. But then after that, it was also around like, OK, it has to be a, an interesting idea that we're passionate about. But also there has to be a market and uh, there has to be an opportunity. And so just quickly uh, or slowly, each product got a bit more complex, complicated, and... Each one that you came out with. Yeah, yeah. opportunity became a little bit bigger, uh, and the traction uh, also kind of followed suit. And Wake, your clock came out after that, or...? Yeah, so that was the one. So, like, Instamatch is the one that I don't really talk about. Um, it did get, <laughs> it like, killed five people. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it did get a lot of downloads. I think it has probably, like, 700,000. Wow. We ended up taking it off the store because of some drama with Facebook and there once they bought Instagram they didn't want people calling things Insta and right. so we just didn't bother and just took it off the store <laughs> but um, but Wake was the one that came after that and that's the one that was probably one of the most popular in terms of downloads mm. um, it has it's a clock that's it, what's so it's weird about it it's a clock. nice clock yeah and I know like people are obsessed with this stuff, I, me included. I expect iOS nerds are like, ooh, I want the clock that's the most beautiful and the Bruna. Um, but you, I think, did it come out at the time when people were making all the crazy clocks that were upset? Yeah. Uh, I think it came out at a time where people were trying to create these like single utility, really nicely designed apps yeah, yeah. Uh, around the time of Clear and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was 2013. And that did really well for you? That did really well, yeah. That that's one, weird. <laughs> it's um, a clock. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, and I, I think it comes down to like just doing some one thing really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we try to do with Wake Alarm. And that's what you need to try to do when you are making apps. Do you think that like there, I mean, 2013, the sort of gold rush for the app store had sort of started to subside to a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like for 2010, 2011, you could make like a fart app and you could make a lot of money off of it because it wasn't that much and people were trying to figure out the platform and understand what the use case is for mobile. Um, by 2013, it started to become more settled. Yeah. So was that, how did you stand out in 2013, even though you had a bit of a reputation? How did you get your clock app like paid attention to and downloaded? Uh, and so I think for that, um, it comes down to a few things. I think the product is a big part of it. So mm-hmm. the, the emphasis and the focus that you put on product and those like design decisions and product decisions that you make, mm-hmm. um, they are really, really important and they pay back later when it comes down to marketing. And so a lot of, as of you know, a lot of the products we do, we go into it kind of thinking it's naively that it's going to take not, not too long, maybe a month or mm-hmm, two. Mm-hmm. It's an alarm clock. 
can't be that complicated. <laughs> uh, but when you're making stuff for iOS, uh, typically things get a little bit more complicated. And mm-hmm. so that alarm clock ended up taking six months. Wow. Uh, and so that a lot of that six months was we want to perfect the product. We want to make it a great experience. We want to make sure it had all of those tiny details. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those tiny details are what kind of helped us stand out uh, in Apple's eyes, but also in users' eyes and in the press's eyes. Uh, and when we submitted the app to the App Store, um, they actually reached out to us and they called because it stood out from everything else so they were seeing. Two que- a whole bunch of questions then. One is like, what, um, what, was the, what was so hard about it? What made it hard? Like what made it take so long? Was it literally just the details or like, oh no, there's a thing that doesn't work on yeah. iPad in French? Yeah, so there's, um, there's some issues with notifications uh, and some of the things that we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. For example, we were trying to kind of do this uh, natural user interface thing where um, we're trying to take you back to kind of an old school alarm clock that you slap to snooze and you flip it over mm-hmm. to turn off. And you can do that. And so the way we were trying to hack that was by using the proximity sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, that works only if the phone uh, is on and the app is in the foreground. Yes. Uh, and so so we have to kind of communicate that to users and figure out how to, how to make that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also other things where uh, local notifications where if you are a person who likes to use do not disturb mm-hmm. uh, and you close or at night you get a text message and you are in the messages app mm-hmm. uh, and you have left wake and mm-hmm. you lock your screen, the mm-hmm. alarm won't work right. just because of the way iOS is designed. Right. Uh, and so we had to figure out ways to do that and we had to figure out all those different use cases um, and edge cases and make sure that the alarm worked and was super reliable. That's the right. other thing. It's an alarm clock. It has to be really, yes. really, really it's reliable. Pretty, yes. Right? Yes. Uh, and if you get a bad review, it's because you made somebody late for work. Right. Right. Or school. Yes. Uh, and so those are the types of things that took a lot longer. Um, and then the things that we were trying to do on the user interface side was mm-hmm. also very custom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that took some time as well. And so what do you think? I mean... Oftentimes, we had this when we were making our last app, like uh, an Apple feature is a pretty big deal because especially with all the noise in the app store, getting them to pay attention to you is pretty useful. What do you think got Apple to say, hey, probably like, can we talk about featuring TinyRS? Did you ask for the feature? Did you seek it out or did they come to you? For Wake, they came to us. They came to you, yeah. Um, and so I think it's a combination of those things that, mm-hmm. that, that made it stand out. Even things like the app icon makes a, a big difference, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we put a lot of emphasis or thought into that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for example, like 824, the time that you see on the, the app icon is not something we just came up with. Uh, those numbers do look good together, but just from looking at, uh, I looked at stats from Path, the social network app was popular at that mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. Uh, and they put out uh, some stats that said most people who use Path wake up at 824. Oh, yeah. Uh, and um, Is there any iOS designer who hasn't been influenced by Path in some way? Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad that they didn't. I know, yeah. I know, I know. Um, but hey, it provides design inspiration ex- to so many exactly, developers. Right? So, <laughs> so 824, so we thought like people who use Path are probably just people who might want to use Wake Alarm. And so right. It's kind use, of ironic that it's almost 824 as you made that comment. Exactly. It's kind of creepy, but anyway. <laughs> um, cool. And so you're like, uh, you were buoyed by the success, I suppose, of this. You're like, hey, you know, like each app you release seemed to be doing better. Mm-hmm. So you're like, we're clearly going down the right path. Did you feel that, um, I guess two things, did you feel commoditized that like everyone, in 2010 and 2011, being an app developer was, you know, there weren't that many. 
by 2013, 2014, and now 2015, it's almost commoditized. Every you just kind of have an app. You just kind of do. Does that um, being focused on mobile is that um, harder now that everyone has a mobile app and everyone claims to be a mobile developer? And it is a bit harder. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, but we have the advantage of being in it for five years, and we have the advantage of actually making our own apps and learning the hard way about what works and what doesn't work from a product perspective, from a marketing perspective. Um, and so I think that experience has helped us uh, stand out a bit. Yeah. How, how do you also, the other thing you've done is you've moved from product to product. And I mean, you're supporting these products. Mm -hmm. um, it's always tempting to build something new and sexy and cool. How do you um, decide to, like, why not just focus on Maybe Wake's a bad example because it's a single function thing. But how do you focus on like, like, how do you stop focusing on a product? How, when do you say, okay, I've done enough on this and next? Yeah. So, so we made that decision a couple times. For example, Instamatch, which I told you about, had yes. to, we had to take it off the store. Um, and so again, you got to kind of look at the effort and what you're getting out of that app. Mm -hmm. um, and so for that one, it was the return wasn't it didn't warrant us putting more effort into it and changing the name and continuing to support it. We learned that there isn't a huge market for in Instagram based games. <laughs> but at that time, actually, there was a lot of people making like um, Instagram utility type apps, the photo collage kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, and so those were doing well, but I didn't want to get into that. So uh, that was an easy call. For Pocket Zoo, we actually took that off the store as well uh, and just decided to focus on Wake Alarm, Quick Fit, uh, and then Next Keyboard because we knew like the team is, we have uh, we can only work on so many things. Yes. Uh, and so we have, we have to make those decisions and we look at things like uh, internal things and external things. Uh, if we're getting a cease and desist from somebody, that can also make a, a decision a little bit easier. Right, yeah. yeah. I had the same thing happen with the, at Endloop. We had the, the card game. And the, the app was called Tri Towers. Was it a solitaire app? It was the solitaire app. Yeah. And we got a cease and desist from an American company. I mean, this was years after we'd launched it. And we actually hadn't updated it to a new version of iOS for like a couple years. And somebody's like, that's our copyright for some, or it was like something about the name or Peaks or something like that. And, uh, and I'm like, well, to update it, to change the name, we'd have to update it to like iOS, whatever it was at the time, six, and it was built on iOS three. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, it will cost us like hundreds yeah. and hundreds of thousands of dollars to change it and resubmit it. Yeah. Or we could, and we're making not enough to exactly to bother. Pretty much so that was the same. Yeah. <laughs> and it was America and that's your big market. So if yeah. it's not, you know, um, so how do you, um, so then you did the fitness app cause there was a fitness grace. Is that kind of how you timed it? No. no. So it's kind of like, I scratch my own itch, right? So yeah. wake alarm. I wanted to make a beautiful alarm clock for myself. I was tired of looking at these other like digital, uh, like just, they all look the same. Uh, and uh, sometimes I have a hard time waking up, so I wanted to make an alarm that not only looked good but was like really useful. Mm -hmm. uh, and the shake mode helped. So so wake is something that I made for myself and I use every day. And um, cool part is there's millions of people who have downloaded uh, and uh, and hundreds of thousands of people who are still using it. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the each product it has to come from that kind of internal like scratching an, an itch or a problem that we have. Uh, mm -hmm. Quick Fit was the same thing. Um, spent a lot of time working on an app like Wake uh, and growing the business. And when you're doing that kind of stuff and you have a family, there's like less time to work out. And at that time, I came across the this whole trend of like seven minute workout, mm -hmm. and that's when it was first um, kind of just 
starting out and I knew this was going to be huge and I knew that this was the perfect workout for mobile. I tried to work out myself and in seven minutes I was like sweating, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I wanted to create an app for that uh, and kind of extend it beyond right. that. And so right. QuickFit is uh, an extension of that idea of like quick workouts that you can do anywhere, anytime for busy people. So I, 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 want, I just want to skip over it for the interest of time because I want to get onto Next Keyboard because that, I, I'm assuming at this point, is the culmination of all of your product experience right? And yep. all of your skills smooshed into a keyboard. Yeah. And that launched, I guess, a month ago-ish? Yeah. Something like that? In September, yeah. Beginning of September. Right around the time that Apple, I mean, what was it? They allowed third-party keyboards? It was a year after. So I was year eight after. is when right. they uh, announced it. And that's actually when we were trying to get into it. It's kind of like the alarm clock. We're like, yeah, in two months, we can get a keyboard out. And then we realized the keyboards are pretty, pretty really hard. big problems to solve. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up taking a year. And so we launched it right before iOS 9 came out. Right. So we we're still in the iOS 8 phase. Did, it was the, did you specifically target the launch of iOS 9 so that you uh, have We were trying something? to get it out before iOS 9 because yeah. we already spent a year on it. Right. Yeah. So how do you spend a year on a keyboard? What was, why do it and what takes so long? So why do it? So the challenge is one of the reasons we took it on. Um, and, um, and the keyboard is something that is integral to the to kind of your iPhone and mobile experience. Um, it's something that you use everyday multiple times a day. Uh, retention on a keyboard is probably super high. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's that. And then there's also these other trends that we're seeing of messaging and messaging becoming kind of the main use case for, for these devices. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it just was an interesting space to look at. Uh, and first we started looking at it from a kind of like just an aesthetic perspective or personalization perspective mm -hmm. uh, uh, angle. Uh, and then um, and then realized like it's not just about you know making a beautiful keyboard, but you need to make a fast keyboard, you need to make a stable keyboard, something that can also obviously do the core function, which is prediction, correction, those types of things. Right. Uh, and those are all built I mean, from scratch and that took a long time. How do you, how do you I mean, I've, I've seen it, I'm not sure if our listeners have, but how do you differentiate? I mean, there was the keyboards that came to market with iOS 8 were stuff that was sort of ported over from Android, like, and had been solving these kinds of problems for a while, like Swift type, that's an old, like, you know what I mean? Old mobile devices had shitty keyboards. There was a lot of innovation in the keyboard space, a lot of patents and stuff like that. Um, so when iOS 8 came out, like Swift Type, which was on Android, immediately showed up on you know on iOS. So how do you go into a market and differentiate between people who've been doing this for a really long time? Yeah. Um, so there's like obviously Swipe and SwiftKey and Flexi mm -hmm. who've been doing it for Android for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and the way we differentiated is we came from kind of the iOS angle, mm -hmm. and we're iOS users, and we've been building apps for iOS for a while, mm -hmm. uh, and we know the problems of iOS users because we are them. Yes. Uh, and so plus user experiences, it, it was ported over from Android as well. <laughs> exactly right. So so user experience is one I think big differentiator for us, and mm -hmm. also just understanding the problems that iOS users have, and then we actually focused in on those. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, obviously the Shift key Apple has fixed that, but that's something that. Uh, was a simple fix, but it needed to be fixed. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a few different ways you can go about it. And we did we did that. We fixed that. Um, editing the keyboard, um, so making uh, edits to mistakes mm -hmm. uh, and moving the cursor around can get really really frustrating for people. Uh, and so we found uh, a kind of a UX solution for that, where you could just swipe across the spacebar, and that allowed you to control the cursor. Mm -hmm. So those are things that just spoke to iOS users right away. Right. Um, 
and they loved those types of features and things like the design was icing on the cake, making emojis integrated into the keyboard so you don't have to switch mm -hmm. helped and even like adding emojis as a um, kind of a suggestion thing uh, also helped. Um, and so when you combine all those like, and you look at Next as a keyboard that's built for iOS by iOS users. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we also had kind of the backing of the community because we used Kickstarter, which was another different angle. Yeah. Uh, and an interesting experiment. I was going to get to that too because you, you chose to do a Kickstarter campaign. And, and Kickstarter, I mean, at first, in my experience at least, it was a good way to get something bootstrapped. Now that is almost, you need a marketing campaign to do a Kickstarter as your marketing campaign. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, why did you choose to do that? Uh, so for us, it was um, while we were in development, we realized that we're not going to hit iOS, the iOS 8 launch, mm -hmm. uh, and we weren't going to hit the December kind of rush. Mm -hmm. uh, but we did have a prototype, and we did kind of get pretty far. So we decided to say, uh, to, to, we decided to experiment with Kickstarter mm -hmm. um, because from the very beginning, we were building with the community and we were building with. Um, uh, people online, whether it was Reddit, we were getting feedback from there, or locally in person at meetups. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the Kickstarter angle made sense because we were trying to make a keyboard for the community by the community. Right. Uh, and so we experimented with that because we were going to miss all these other kind of moments. We thought, like, let's just get our name out there and let's use Kickstarter as a platform to do that. Uh, and it worked out pretty well. When was the camp? I'm trying to remember. Was it last summer? Uh, this was past last, this past summer. This no, it was the December last December. Was it last December? Uh, from December to January. Of 2014 to 15? Yep. Wow, okay. Seemed like more recent than that. Okay, and then you weren't really looking to raise money, were you? I mean, it was just a nice side effect. It was, you yeah. were You were like looking to just get marketing buzz. Exactly, yeah. So, but that's like, it was eight, nine months before the thing actually launched. So isn't that too far away? Um, it ended up being eight, nine months. We were aiming to launch well before that. Okay. And as you know, things sometimes take <laughs> yes. longer. That, well, that's true with yeah. anything on Kickstarter that even was launching with Kickstarter. Yeah. So I think and people with are used to that. it's even, yeah. Yeah. Worse. Typically, so, you're not supposed to say when your launch date is, but with Kickstarter, you have to say it. Yes. Uh, so that did cause a few problems for us. Did it? Uh, but in the end, we, uh, we were able to Did ship. people care, though? I mean, as long as they got. Yeah, people do care. Pe uh, okay. Well, I mean, I should say. People care, but did they not understand? No. No, people did not understand. <laughs> but, uh, a few of them did, but uh, I think some, some didn't. And you know how Kickstarter is. It's a yes. different type of audience. And yes. for us, it was a big learning experience. Selling on the App Store versus selling on Kickstarter mm -hmm. is very, very different. Would you do it again? Uh, not for apps. Okay. Uh, not for apps that because are being distributed through the App Store. Because well, that's, I thought that was weird because you can't. It's weird to, like, Apple has very specific rules about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. You have to promise people shit on Kickstarter. So yeah. Like so there's some things that kind of are at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're doing uh, kind of a web app or an Android app, I think distribution might be a little bit easier. Okay. Uh, yeah. What's the problem? You can't give promo codes out to people because you're limited on the App Store or what? Yeah. There's some distribution issues with yeah. Apple. Um, was that the main problem? That was one of the main problems. But also when you're making software, uh, you don't want to say what your ship date is going to be. Uh, and you don't want to give away all your features. Ideally, with Kickstarter, you need to do that. And so we did that with some features. And then we saw that appear in other apps as well. I see. Um, so it's kind of like a give and take. And we, I think we kind of made that call. Uh, in the end, it worked out really well for us. Um, but I don't think we would do Kickstarter for a, a mobile app. So how is this, like, as we sort of wind down, because we're pretty much out of time, how is this a business? Like, 
it's done well for you, I think. You're, mm -hmm. you're everywhere with it. Um, and you're one of the few sort of iOS dev shops that I can think of that's making products and successfully continuing to make products and churn them out. How, how is the keyboard a business that sort of will grow? Or do you, do you just look at it as another product and you're stable? No. So definitely um, it is a combination of a lot of things that we've been doing. And I look at Next Keyboard as something that could be its own company and could be a big business. Mm -hmm. um, and um, as you kind of notice, like in the past few years, some of the innovations has been on mobile has been around user interface. Uh, and I think for next, I'm thinking about what's next in mobile. Mm -hmm. And for me, that comes down to things like, you know, uh, machine learning, NLP, AI. And I think the keyboard is a great place to experiment with that. It's kind of the first point of contact. Uh, and so we're building out our own prediction engine, and we're trying to focus on big problems like autocorrect. And I think there's a lot of value in that. So is um, it kind of a patenty kind of thing that uh, you're thinking? Not, like I don't really think about patents, okay. but uh, I think about innovation and kind of challenge and like where things are going. Mm -hmm. uh, and so AI and, and those types of things is something that we can start kind of experimenting with and pushing, uh, pushing the boundaries through Next Keyboard. And I think there's an opportunity to create a big business around that. And does the one-time purchase aspect of it sort of... That's not the, help? That's the current model. I think yeah. what we're doing is kind of positioning ourselves as kind of a premium product. Mm -hmm. uh, once we get the product to be uh, stable and kind of to a point where we're really happy with it, uh, we will probably or even consider, we will be considering making it free mm -hmm. uh, and figuring out other ways to monetize it. Every time you type a letter, it charges you five cents? That is an interesting idea. <laughs> In-app purchase for uh, keystrokes. It's like one emoji for like a million emotions. Uh, well, that's really cool. Uh, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Uh -huh. So uh, I guess we'll have to catch up when you've solved machine learning. Mm -hmm. Maybe next. we can do a revisit Yes, show. we'll do a revisit show for sure. Cool. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, this was Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. Uh, we had Rob Lay of Tiny Hearts. And if you want to check out your apps, where do you go? You can go to tinyhearts.com. Right. All one word, tinyhearts.com. And uh, iOS users only. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Rob Kennedy. Thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show, and thanks to the working group for hosting us. Uh, and stay tuned. Next week, we've got a big month of really great guests, So, including you, Rob Lay. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you.